Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Extra Time, Radio New Zealand's web-only sports programme. I'm Stephen Hewson. In the programme this week, despite being suspended, Equestrian New Zealand have named rider Jock Padgett in their World Games team. The New Zealand cricketers chase history in the Caribbean, while corruption allegations fail to sway New Zealand cricket officialdom at the ICC's annual meeting in Melbourne. New Zealand rowers continue to dominate internationally and there'll be no second chance for some tall black contenders ahead of the world champs and the Black Sticks announced their lineup for the Glasgow Commonwealth Games. Equestrian New Zealand are so confident that Jock Paget will have his suspension overturned that they've included the Walkworth rider in their four-strong team for the World Equestrian Games in France in August. Confirmation of Paget's selection hinges on the final ruling from the FEI Tribunal after his horse Clifton Promise tested positive for a banned substance last year. That led to the New Zealander being stripped of his Burley title. The Burley champion Andrew Nicholson, double Olympic gold medalist Mark Todd and Tim Price round out the team. Earlier this month, Paget had his provisional suspension lifted, allowing him to return to competition. Equestrian New Zealand's high-performance director Sarah Harris told Joe Porter that anything less than a team gold at the World Games will be a disappointment, as she fully expects Paget to ride at the event. We um, are very hopeful that that will be the case. Obviously, um, I-, I can't say any more than that, but yes, um, that's why we've put him in the team, provisionally. So you can say you're confident? Basically that his suspension will be lifted and that um, they will find him um, not guilty or no fault or negligence. Okay, and obviously that leaves him potentially a little bit underdone for the uh, WEG. Are you concerned at all about, I guess, his match fitness, so to speak? No, not at all. He, um, Jock has, um, I mean, he's a professional athlete like they all are, and so he's been on a um, on a program um, with peaking at the Worlds in mind um, through from um, January this year anyway. So, um, you know, sure, for Jock it would have been great if he could have gone into Kentucky and badminton um, because obviously he was sitting there with the, the Grand Slam but um, from the horse's fitness point of view, um, no, he'll be absolutely fine. And Jock himself? Jock himself is in great form. Um, he's um, an amazing young athlete, very um, disciplined and um, he's got a, a very strong head on him and he's been confident throughout so um, he, he's been handling this brilliantly. Does it give him a potential advantage or an edge at all, being that he comes in as a sort of a dark horse, excuse the pun? No, not at all. I think um, everyone internationally is well aware of what Jock um, has done in the past and what he can do in the future, so no. <laughs> not going to catch anyone by surprise no. <laughs> Excellent. OK, and obviously uh, the other three certainly have the potential to also claim the title, uh, more than the potential. That's right. Um, Really exciting team. Um, I'm just absolutely thrilled that the program has the depth that it does have to be able to select um, such an outstanding lineup of those four gentlemen. I mean, as you say, all of them could um, could individually medal in their own right. So that's um, absolutely fantastic for us. How are Mark and Andrew tracking? How are they looking form-wise coming into this one? 
Oh, fantastic. As always, um, Andrew Nicholson is such a professional and um, the, the form of his, of his horses and himself is um, is amazing. And equally, Mark, I mean, um, to be still doing what he does at his age is, is sensational and he's, to be honest, riding better than he's probably ever ridden before. What's the minimum result for you guys? Uh, well, I mean, obviously, we're pretty... Um, <laughs> We're pretty set on the team gold, or at least a team medal. Um, so you know we don't make any excuses for that. But um, minimum, absolute minimum result is, is a top six to get our Olympic qualification. Now, excuse my ignorance, but when it comes to the, the team points or the team result, how is it? Just the individuals going out and doing their best, or is there some sort of team strategy involved? Um, it's, it's a really good question. There is a team strategy involved. Um, but first and foremost, the individuals have to go out and do the best they can. The, the main strategy um, comes in on cross-country day, and it de- really depends on how your first two um, runners go um, as to how the second two can ride. Um, if the first couple go out and go clear and go inside the time, um, then it gives the others a little bit of flexibility to, to um, you know, go fast and, and have a crack at the individual titles, if that's where they're sitting. Um, if one of the first two doesn't go so well um, and doesn't finish, then obviously it's it's vital that the other two do finish. So they just need to to ride a safe round and make sure that they come home with um, little no faults or as few as possible. From an equestrian New Zealand perspective, is the team result more important than individual honours? Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, I mean, you know, you can't take individual honours away from anyone, but our whole strategy is set around um, winning team medals. So, um, and we've been quite clear on that. Um, since 2009 and that's something that um, we've set through to Rio. And I'm obviously assuming that all the individuals involved in the team are on board with that strategy or policy. Absolutely. Yep, we we had a a meeting with our riders back in 2009 and and that was a strategy that we all agreed to and so we've been on that path ever since. So does that mean there's a possibility that people could potentially forsake an individual placing or result in favour of giving the team a better position? Well, it's been done before. You know, you've seen um, riders go out before and had to have to ride um, a little bit slower and a bit safer um, just to come home for the team. So um, if that was the call on the day and that's how we were looking, then that might have to be made again. But let's hope we don't have that. Let's hope we've got um, at least three of them in the top three. That's Equestrian New Zealand's High Performance Director Sarah Harris talking to Joe Porter. The New Zealand cricketers are on the verge of a rare Test Series win in the West Indies. One of the standout players of the tour has been the Black Caps wicketkeeper BJ Watling, who's made the wicketkeeping role his own in the past year. There's been some strong competition for the role ever since Brenda McCullum gave up the duties because of back problems. But it's Watling who's emerged with the gloves ahead of the likes of Kruger Van Vaak and Luke Ronke. Barry Guy spoke to Watling about his development, having initially made the side as a batsman only. Definitely um, try and keep up the stand with the gloves it was um it was always going to be a challenge uh for me coming over here with um a bit more turn and, and whatnot in different conditions and um in the west indies so um yeah i've been working on a, a few little things and, and standing up to the stumps a bit more and um yeah it's not that it feels, feels good at the moment but just got to try and keep it going for the for the next test has someone been helping you with that uh yeah i would do some work with jason mills um and I've had uh, Luke Ronke on tour here, which has been good. He's, he's obviously had a lot of experience with keeping, and we've obviously still got Brendan McCullum. So, um, yeah, no, I've been trying to get as much advice um, from, from guys as possible. Can you just give us an insight into some of the things you're now uh, trying to do? Uh, yeah, I've, I've got a few little things 
just with uh, my positioning to, to the spinners and um, and with my hands, just trying to rise up and, and get the bounce. Obviously, that first test in Kingston, there's a bit more bounce, and um, then had to try and adjust in um, Trinidad to some lower bounce and get into some different positions. So just little things like that is um, what I'm trying to stay in, on top of. Um, so it's just uh, uh, being on the whole time, I suppose, and being being aware. Do you... Um between bowlers and wicket keepers, are there, is there any, ever any sort of signals or anything like baseball? Uh, no, no, no signals. I'll, I'll try and talk to the bowlers as much as possible, and um, and try, you know, give some advice, and if I might see something with a batter and stuff like that. But um, no, no signals um, in cricket. <laughs> Uh, and also, um, I don't know whether this is complimenting it, but you, your batting also um, been very consistent. There, you, you're obviously happy with that. Uh, yeah, yeah, reasonably happy with it. Um, just trying to keep doing my role down the bottom there and, um, and trying to get um, as many runs as, as possible down the order there and, and try to build as many po- uh, partnerships with, um, with the tail and, and whatnot. So, no, no, reasonably pleased. BJ Watling talking to Barry Guy. He's been deemed not fit to be India's cricket chief at the moment, but he's now running the world game. Narayana Swami Srinivasan has been confirmed as the new chairman of the International Cricket Council. That's despite being suspended from his role as India's board president. The 69-year-old cement tycoon is among 13 people named in a damning report into corruption allegations in the Indian Premier League. He's been suspended by the Indian Supreme Court as that country's cricket chief. But New Zealand cricket weren't swayed by the allegations supporting constitutional change to the ICC that led to Srinivasan's rise and it's effectively made him the most powerful figure in the history of the game. The constitutional changes have been rubber-stamped at the ICC's annual meeting in Melbourne and herald a new era of power for the big three of India, Australia and England. New Zealand's ICC representative is Martin Sneddon. I spoke to him ahead of the vote and asked why New Zealand was backing Srinivasan. The New Zealand Cricket Board spent quite a bit of time in the last few weeks just looking at these issues and, and getting some advice and thinking about it. And the position we're taking is this. Uh, everything that's happening in India is happening in a really volatile environment. It's highly political, uh, factionalised. The allegations that have been made against Srinivasan are coming from um, a faction that is absolutely hell-bent on getting rid of them and filling the space that's left after that. Um, what the Supreme Court has done is said, listen, they've, they've taken note that these allegations have been made. They've agreed that they can be investigated. The Supreme Court has said, do not take any inference um, from the fact um, that we've ordered an investigation. Just let the investigation um, go its way and we'll see what happens at the end of that. Our position is that these allegations, we don't even know what they are. They've been suppressed, so we don't know what the allegations are. Um, they're certainly untested. They're unproven. Our view is there's there's nothing here that warrants us uh, not fulfilling what we agreed to do in February, and the opportunity, if it's needed, will arise again at the end of the investigation. And if there's um, an outcome that requires action by ICC, then that action can be taken at that time. You've got legal advice over this, though, haven't you? Yeah, we've we've taken legal advice. We've taken um, soundings from people outside of the board just to help us make sure that um, you know we get a balanced view on on the road we're going down here, and um, that's led us in the direction that that ultimately um, I've explained today. 
what what's your biggest fear or what was your biggest fear out of this then no, i wasn't too worried about anything i think it was just a matter of trying to do our best to get uh, some clarity as to actually what was happening in india and that's uh, a pretty difficult thing to do and I guess the clarity we got is that there is no clarity. The fact is that there is no public information about any allegations. Um, the Supreme Court has been very clear in saying um, don't take any inference out of the fact that, that there's an investigation happening. The Supreme Court has also on three occasions had the opportunity to uh, prevent Mr Srinivasan from being involved in ICC events and affairs and on each of those three occasions it's uh, said that's none of our business, that's not what we're here for. So all of those things have really pointed us in a direction of, of taking a view that uh, we'll just proceed as we originally agreed to proceed and ultimately at the end of the investigation if there's anything that needs to be dealt with at that stage then ICC is going to be in a position to deal with it. How comfortable are you with, it would seem, the obvious conflict of interest that comes with Mr Srinivasan? What conflict of interest? Well, well he's running, I suppose, this, he's got his IPL franchise, he's then trying to effectively become, well, we will be the most powerful man in, in world cricket. Yeah, but this is, this is not a lot different than the way ICC has been run over many years. Uh, I think um, ICC is not an organisation that has perfect governance and it, and it never has had and um, there's always been um, challenges with governance uh, just because there's so many different uh, cultures involved in this, um, so many different points of view and uh, in the end you know, ICC has grappled with this for, for a couple of decades and, and is still doing so. So that's the environment that New Zealand Cricket operates and we have to accept that that's the environment we're in and we've just got to find the best way of navigating our way through that environment. So voting for this constitutional change, it may not be what you ideally want, but you realise it's only the, well, it's the only way forward as far as New Zealand Cricket's going to get any benefits from it? It's been quite interesting to look at some of the the comment that's been made publicly about the changes and and a lot of it's been pretty negative and yet you know what I'm seeing inside of ICC is some good things that are happening for instance uh, four or five months ago general comment was that uh, the big three would basically cut the small guys out of um, playing arrangements well you know, the fact is we're, we're now just about ready to announce a playing schedule for uh, the 10-test playing countries, which um, takes no one backwards and in many cases takes people forward, and it takes the, the international program um, from 2020 through to 2023, which is a, a huge plus for New Zealand. We've come out of it well, and so have a lot of the other smaller countries. So, you know... When I see some of the adverse comment about the changes that have been made, I'm thinking people uh, maybe have uh, not really a lot of understanding about how difficult ICC has been to work with in, in the past. And as I said before, we are not going from uh, 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 an organisation that has had extraordinary um, governance. We've, we're working within an organisation that 
that has very volatile governance and we operate in a very volatile international cricket world. And so what New Zealand Cricket does and what I do as New Zealand Cricket's representative on ICC is find the best way of navigating our way through this. There will be an update also from the ICC's anti-corruption unit. What movement, if any, are you expecting on the the Chris Cairns-Lou-Vincent investigation? Um, I'm not really sure, to be honest. uh, The way I'm reading it is um, Chris has been um, interviewed by the English police and uh, the English police are are currently considering whether or not they want to take that any further. And I guess... um, you know, so that's not ICC is not wrapped up in that process. That's an English piece process. ICC, with their own investigation of of some of the um, allegations around Chris, I think are, are just waiting to see what the English police will do. So, are you aware of any time frame around this? No, I, I'm not. I'm out of the loop on that. I mean, it's a, it's very much a, a matter for the ICC anti-corruption unit on the one hand, um, and the English police on the other. And, and so I wouldn't expect to be in any sort of um, significant communication loop around that. A concern, though, over the length of time it seems to be continuing? Is that a concern for, for the ICC? I think everyone would like to see these sort of things move a lot quicker. And in particular, I think uh, it would have been much fairer to Chris to um, have the various allegations that were made put to him uh, at a much earlier stage than they were. But that didn't happen, and basically it's a matter now of going forward from, from where it is, and I think primarily for the time being that's the concentration is on the English police and whether or not they want to take this matter further. I was talking to New Zealand's representative on the International Crude Council, Martin Sneddon. The New Zealand elite rowing squad have enjoyed another successful outing this week, picking up five gold medals and one bronze at the second World Cup regatta of the year in France. The men's pair of Hamish Bond and Eric Murray continue to be a formidable force. They took the lead after 500 metres and finished 11 seconds ahead of Germany, with Great Britain third in their race. The women's lightweight single, the women's men's and single skulls, and the men's lightweight four also all won gold. The men's lightweight four of Curtis Rapley, James Lasher, Peter Taylor and James Hunter have become a major force in the past year, winning all three World Cup events last year and finishing second at last year's World Champs. Barry Guy spoke with James Lasher from Canterbury and asked him about the foundation of this crew. Pete Taylor was sort of the, the keystone of the, of the crew for the last um, few years. So we all joined together last year and we... We actually won all three World Cups last year and just missed out on winning the gold at World Champs last year and uh, to the Danish crew that we bet today. So so that was quite quite nice to, to get one back on them. So we have been together a year. So it's a bit of an instantaneous hit though, really, the four of you together? Yeah, yeah, well, we're, we're all, all, I guess, like-minded. We, we want to we wanna go fast and want to go well and... Yeah, we've all put in some really big um, hours of training in the last six months, and um, I guess the work is, is work has paid off. So everything's going to plan so far. So was it nice to beat the Danes, who you lost the World Championship to? It was very nice. They actually had beaten us earlier in the week through the the, the heats. So to for them to beat us, and then for us to beat them when it really matters in the final, that was 
that was very satisfying. And the final, was it? Would you call it convincing? In rowing terms, uh, it was convincing, and especially in a in a lightweight um, race, it was uh, it was very convincing. Um, a length in lightweight racing is is quite a long, a large margin. Sorry. Um, while it's expected uh, these days because of the proud record that New Zealand rowing has, it was a good day really. But uh, six medals, five gold, and one bronze. Oh, absolutely. Um, like it really is not easy to get uh, a medal on the world stage, and it's just absolutely phenomenal f- for us to continually come up with results like like today. Like it, it is really, really competitive out there. You, you see some people that have done well in the past who who have a slightly bad race today, and they're not they're not in touch. But just the, the depth of the rowing New Zealand team is so strong at the moment. It seems even if a few people have bad races, we can we can still perform. You mention uh, how tough it is to win. Uh, you may not be able to com- comment on this, but does it make something exceptional when you see the likes of Hamish Bond and Eric Murray continue to dominate? Oh, absolutely. They have um, just absolutely dominated their field for the last six years, and no one really has has, has come close to them especially in the last four years. And their dominance is definitely something to be to be proud of. And all of all of the rowing New Zealand team really looks up to them and sees them as the standard and um yeah, it's a great environment to be around when you've got when you've got them to, to base your performance off. You and the rest of the uh, crews must be pretty confident heading to World Cup three and then the world champs? Yeah, I guess we're, we're confident, but we're very realistic about um, lightweight racing and how it can change. And we obviously had a good race today, and we we want to have more good races. So we're very realistic about putting our head back, head back down and getting stuck into some really good solid training coming into Lucerne. Yeah. Can, can I just ask them why why is is lightweight? more competitive is it why do you say a difference between that and regular because every for one everyone has has to be at this the same weight so the weight limit is 70 kilograms so everyone in in the entire race is at the same weight theoretically it just makes it a lot more competitive because no one can be bigger or stronger you know everyone is on an even playing field, so it comes down to technique, fitness, and it's notorious for for very tight and competitive racing. That's the New Zealand rower James Lasher talking to Barry Guy. The third World Cup regatta is in Switzerland next month with the world champs in Amsterdam in August. The Tall Blacks coach Nenad Vucinic isn't ruling out a return to the New Zealand basketball team for the Southland Sharks players awaiting sentencing on assault charges. The former Tall Blacks, Leon Henry and Ruben Tarangi, and Southland teammate Shea Illy pleaded guilty to their part in a brawl outside a New Plymouth bar following the Sharks' NBL win over Taranaki earlier this season. All three have applied to be discharged without conviction. Tarangi and Henry were contenders to make the New Zealand team for the upcoming Basketball World Cup in Spain, starting at the end of August. However, it's been decided none of the three players will be included in the 24-man squad to attend next month's Tall Black Trials, regardless of the outcome of their sentencing on August the 1st. 
Joe Porter spoke to Vucinich about the squad and he concedes Tirangi and Henry won't be tall blacks this year. But he says the door's open for them in the future. Look, you know, um, it, it was an unfortunate thing, you know, for all of us, you know, including Ruben. And the uh, decision had to be made. Uh, the timing of the of the hearing is, is not, you know, great for us. You know, we, we're going overseas a week before the, before the actual uh, uh, sentencing. So... Um, it, that's just the way it is. Uh, uh, Ruben is a young player, you know, with a lot of future, and uh, hopefully he will learn from 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 all this and and be there for the national team in the future. If those guys are do receive a conviction and fail, I guess, in their bid to be discharged without conviction, would that then effectively end the Tall Blacks' career? I really can't comment on that. I think you know the decision, you know, about their future, you know, will come in a week or even months ahead you know uh, right now we've got a program uh, the sentence is, is is on 1st of August which doesn't really suit us well and uh, and that's just the way it is you know they're, they're done for, for this season but um, hopefully things will be sorted out after that. Are there any positions in particular where you feel that one of the young players could put his hand up and force his way into selection contention? Um, I think, you know, there, there are all positions, really. Uh, probably, you know, the, the, the position that we are strongest uh, at is, is at the shooting guard position where we've got two, you know, high-level players like Penny and Corey Webster. Other positions, you know, it's, uh, everything is open. I think, you know, there, there is a possibility for some of the young guys to break through. Are you confident that you have enough size within the squad, height in particular, to challenge at the World Cup? With size... Uh, competing against teams, you know, always, you know, bigger than us. Uh, we have got uh, a player with a genuine size, uh, Alex Pledger. Obviously, it would have been nice, you know, to have Steve Adams. wasn't to be this year. But, um, you know, there are a couple of other players that, you know, have got, you know, a chance really. Um, guys like uh, Jack Salt, who's young, uh, but, you know, has got some size. Um, even guys like Nick Horvath has got some size. They're not, you know, size like uh, the teams we're going to play against. But but it's something, you know. We we never really relied on the size that much. We always relied on the on the team unity, on cohesion and execution. That's Tall Blacks coach Ninad Vucinich talking to Joe Porter. And the Tall Blacks trials take place in Auckland on July the eighth and 9th. The New Zealand women's hockey team haven't had long to dwell on their disappointing fifth-place finish at the World Cup in the Netherlands. After missing out on the semi-finals, the Black Sticks are already looking ahead to their next challenge, the Commonwealth Games in Glasgow. A 16-strong squad's been named for the tournament there, with the Black Sticks hoping to go one better than the silver medal they won at the Dally Games in 2010. Alex Coogan-Reeve spoke to Black Sticks captain Kayla Whitelock, and she told him she's pleased to be able to move on from the World Cup so quickly. Not finishing where we wanted to, it's a little bit disappointing coming back, but then today when the team's announced and, and you're getting a uniform, it's pretty special and um, pretty exciting, looking forward to the Commonwealth Games. Is it quite nice, I guess, that you didn't go quite as well as you could have in Netherlands, now you've got a chance straight away to to go back and do it better? Yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, you always want to do better um, at both tournaments but I think it's a good learning curve for this group, it's pretty young and probably some, quite a few of the first tournaments um, big tournament of the World Cup so I think they would have learnt a lot from that tournament and, and take that into the Commonwealth Games Your expectations are obviously a bit high for this one and the, you focused on the gold medal that's the aim for the whole team? Yeah for sure, I think um, we 
we got a silver at the last Commonwealth Games and um, to finish finish the tournament with a, a loss isn't is an ideal and, and it, I mean it's cool to come away with a silver but any medal will do I'd be pretty disappointed if we didn't get a medal but um, obviously my goal and I hope the rest of the girls are, are focused for a gold and just the way that you lost in that last game does that make you even more hungry especially if you do end up playing Australia in the final yeah I think so I mean it's now changed from strokes to penalty shootouts since then so um Rachel Lynch, the Australian goalkeeper, did pretty well at the World Cup in, in those, and she's pretty strong. So, um, yeah, hopefully we can just put a few goals away and, and get the win straight off. Yeah, it's easier <laughs> if you don't have to go through that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's always tough to lose like that, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's pretty exciting. This group is pretty focused on doing well and getting a medal, and I think um, there's good depth within this group, and it's just about building on that from the World Cup. And before you get to play Australia, if you do, who are the other sort of teams in the Commonwealth that are potential threats? Yeah, we've got a relatively tough pool um, with South Africa and India. So um, South Africa are at the World Cup. Um, India didn't make the World Cup, but they're still... They always ramp up before the Commonwealth Games and that's kind of their pinnacle event. So um, they're going to be pretty crucial for us to win those two in our pool so that we can finish first and then um, either cross over with Aussie or England. So, um, yeah, it's, it's not going to be easy, but, um, you know, if we play well and, and play consistent, then I think we've got a good shot at meddling. I guess for someone like you who's been to so many of these big events, World Cups, Olympics, Commonwealth Games, where, where does the Commonwealth Games sort of sit for you and how important is it? Oh, it's, it's very important. I think, obviously, this year World Cup was our number one um, goal in terms of that's where we get all our funding from and, and that's where we get assessed. Um, and then Commonwealth Games is, I guess, the added little bonus on the end of it and um, something where you can come away with a, a medal and, and something that the country really gets behind. So um, I think the country probably view it more um, more pinnacle than, than our World Cup. But, um, yeah, even, even so, we love the support that we get back here. Yeah, is it nice? I guess it's a time when you know hockey gets a chance to be in the spotlight a bit more than it would. Yeah, for sure. I think obviously the coverage um, with the games, the Olympic Games, or the Commonwealth Games, uh, you definitely boost that profile. And and when you're doing well, that's when you get uh, you know uh, recognised a lot more. So um, yeah, no, I think the team's pretty excited and just looking forward to getting over there. That's Blacksticks captain Kayla Whitelock talking to Alex Coogan Reeves. And that brings us to the end of Extra Time for another week. Remember, if you wish to contact us, you can email us at sport at radioNZ.co.nz. On behalf of the Extra Time team, I'm Stephen Houston. Bye for now. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.